Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arena Craft Podcast dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. I'm one of your hosts, Sarjina. My other host, Covert Go Blue, is here with me today. And CGB, I don't know about you, man, but we haven't even started this episode and I'm already tired, dude. <laughs> How are you doing? How am I doing? How are you doing? You want you want it? No, I refuse. No. I am abstaining from banter. Not not falling for the bait, huh? I am abstaining from banter because if there is one thing on this show that we just have to stop doing, man, it's to stop talking about magic cards for long periods of time. That 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 is like the one weakness of the podcast. We always set out for the the 60-minute episode. It's always the 90-minute episode. So, to prevent this, I am Taking steps to better myself, better the cast, better the show by not mentioning that you can find this podcast on iTunes and Spotify <laughs> and other places. And I am not going to mention the blowing up YouTube channel. And I'm not even going to discuss my Twitch stream Monday through Thursday, 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern. I am abstaining from this banter. Let's just put the cards on the table and talk about them, dude. If we do it fast enough, maybe the 60-minute episode is in play. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I love you, Covert Go Blue, but I got some bad news for you, man, because today we're going to be talking exhaustively about Zendikar Rising spoilers. And if there's one thing we both love to talk about, it is magic cards and spoilers. So we will, we will endeavor to keep this episode as focused as possible and try to go down as few tangents and rabbit holes as possible. But we are going to be filling your ears with at least one hour of Zendikar's spoiler chat, and who knows, maybe we will end up with bonus episode levels of content for you. So Okay, okay, so no banter. Got that. Focused cast. Got that. What's the bad news? You said there was bad news for me. All I heard was complete upside. The bad news is our Arjunas can't be trusted, man. I mean, <laughs> let's be real. Anyone who's been listening to this show long enough knows knows how the next seven hours are gonna go <laughs> drinking game <laughs> drinking for tangents game. all right your, your drinking game today I, I don't know what the drinking game is we'll we'll figure it out we'll figure it out all right so zendikar rising spoilers i feel like we should just very briefly touch upon the new mechanics in the set because they're gonna matter a lot when we're reading these cards and it's also good for me to just get them straight in my head as well so let's jump in. One of the first new mechanics that we've seen in this set is the party mechanic. So this is a throwback to D&D. Um, they've also announced, actually, we're not going to go into this really on this episode, but they have announced they have announced the next sets for Magic, and one of them is going to be a D&D focused set. And so they're kind of like getting the ball rolling here with some D&D reference. So the party mechanic, Covert Go Blue. The members of your party can be, let's see if I've got this right, a cleric, a warrior, a wizard, or a rogue. Is that correct? You crushed it. Nailed it. Woo. All right. Gold star for Arjuna. So your party can have one of up to four of these in it. 
Now, if a creature has multiple types, you get to count one of those types towards your party. So you do actually need four creatures to get a complete party. All right, so we're clear on that. So a lot of cards in this set will incentivize you to have one or more party members. Most of them give you a bonus if you have one up to four. I think some of them, some of the bonuses require you to have a complete party, but it's not necessarily necessary. So as we're going through basically the end of time now, we're always going to be looking at creatures and wondering if they are one of these four types. So for people who play eternal formats, I kind of feel sorry for them because if there are any playable parties whatsoever in this set, um, like party cards whatsoever, you're going to have to look at every magic card ever printed to figure it out. <laughs> that, so, isn't that what they do? Isn't that what Eternal I, I, Format yeah, does? Suppose. Just play. I mean, you can always just play Burn if you want to pretend that other cards don't have text. Good point. Good point, CGB, which I know you're a big fan of. So, okay, the, the next mechanic that we've seen, which is new in this set, is we have flip cards with lands on the back. So... I don't know, man. This is a pretty exciting mechanic. A lot of people are talking about this. These are some of the more, I don't want to say like controversial because I think people are generally stoked about them, but controversial in terms of how powerful people think these cards are. So basically you have, you know, spells, creatures, pretty much every type of card I've seen, maybe not artifacts, um, which actually have an ETB tapped land on the back. Um, some of them even come in untapped and require you to pay three life for the privilege. So just a few things I wanted to note about these cards. It's just like with adventure creatures, where you know how adventure creatures count as creatures in every circumstance other than when you're actually casting the adventure side of them? It's the same with these cards. So if you're searching your library for stuff, if you're casting spells for free, if you're doing any of that kind of... If you're wishing from the sideboard, doing any of that kind of nonsense... All of these cards are the spell on the front side, all right? So the only time that you get to play these as a land is when they're in your hand and you play them. I don't know about if, a, if an effect says, like, you may play that card until end of turn for free kind of a thing. Do you know about that, CGB? I know that if you reveal it off a of Genesis Ultimatum, you have to play the spell side or put it in your hand and then okay. play the land side. Mm -hmm. So uh, I know that you can't play it as, a, as an additional land from your hand off of Uro. Right. Um, I don't know, like, if, if you hit Escape to the Wilds, I'm pretty sure that it, you can play it as either side because you make that decision when you put it on the stack. So mm. arena mechanic-wise is more of how I think about rules because in its yeah. way it's a rules engine. So if it's in a zone where I can drag it and, you know, act like I want to put it on the battlefield, I imagine the option will come up this side or the other. Whereas if it's anywhere else, if you have to you click only it, can do the spell. If you have to click yeah. to select, then it's probably the spell. All right, that's yep. a good that's a good little metric. All right, I like that. So third exciting thing is that we've actually got just double sided lands. So these that it's just one one land color on one side, the other land color on the back. And these, I assume, are basically the same way. I'm guessing that these are going to be processed the same way that like tap the shock lands were before, where just whenever they're entering play, you get to decide which side is up. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, one side is the real side, and it has like a triangle on it from the art perspective. Mm. And if you're like searching your library for a land and putting it into play with a Golos, you 
I believe would have to get the side with the triangle on it. Like, but otherwise, if you're again doing the thing where you drag it from your hand to battlefield, then you get the choice. We'll have to see. This is actually something I'm not sure about either. Yeah, we're all going to have to do a little homework on all of this stuff to make sure that we know all of the ins and outs of it, because I think there are a lot of edge cases that are going to come up that we none of us have quite discovered yet. So that's it for the new mechanics, I'm pretty sure. We also have Kicker returning. Now, Kicker is a simple mechanic. It's just an extra cost that you can pay when a spell is cast, and then the card tells you what happens if you pay the Kicker. So this is a pretty heavily supported mechanic in the set, and there are actually cards that give you payoffs for paying Kicker on other spells. And I don't know how many of those are going to be relevant in Constructed, necessarily. I know Limited is going to have a lot of Kicker's Matters cards in it. But that's just another mechanic to keep your eye out in this set. Is there anything I'm missing in terms of mechanics, CGB? Just a terminology push that they're making for DFC, double-faced card. Mm. You may start hearing it a lot more often in the magic vernacular because Wizards is pushing it. So all of these land on one side, spell on the other. This land on this side, this land on the other uh, can be called DFC. All right. Just get getting in that terminology, man, because we sure didn't have enough of it to begin with. Uh, new players, welcome. <laughs> welcome to Magic Arena. Good luck, my friends. All right. That's it, man. Is it time to start talking about some sweet, sweet cardboard here? Is it never, like, not the time? Let's go. We were, Let's we go. were born. We were born ready to do this. So this is what I'm going to do, CGB. I want to I wanna toss you... A very Kovac Go Blue style of card to kick us off with. Why don't you read for us Jace Mirror Mage? Jace Mirror Mage is a one blue blue legendary planeswalker Jace mythic with four loyalty and has a kicker of two on a planeswalker. <gasps> when, yeah, I know. Snap. When Jace Mirror Mage enters the battlefield, if Jace was kicked, Create a token that's a copy of Jace Mirror Mage, except it's not legendary. Its starting loyalty is one, plus one loyalty, scry two, zero, draw a card, reveal it. Remove a number of loyalty counters equal to that card's converted mana cost from Jace Mirror Mage. That sure is a lot of text and a lot of Jason going on there. <laughs> so Yeah, how how much Jace you want? Would you like some Jace with your Jace? <laughs> so this might be the first remotely playable Jace that copies itself. We also we had like Himbo Jace, Handsome Jace, who was the last Jace, I believe, who had like a Jace replicating style of effect on him. But I'm thinking this card is gonna be a little bit more playable than that. I, you know, this doesn't immediately track as like a to fairy power level of planeswalker to me but i don't think it's super far off and i think especially control decks and especially like in control mirrors stuff like that jace mirror mage could end up being pretty playable but you're a much more seasoned blue mage than i am cgb what do you make of this card this card is a decent role player it's plus one ability isn't Tremendous advantage on its own. Getting a couple Scry 2s can be nice to smooth out your draw, but never makes a card necessarily great. The zero of draw a card and reveal it has significant downside. Unless you scryed and set up your draw previously, you don't really know if it's going to kill Jace or not. Jace doesn't 
protect itself normally. The kicker is a form of protection where the opponent has to take out two planeswalkers instead of one. But one of them is a token that has one loyalty, and if it drew a card, might already be dead. The kicked version, at least one can plus for the scry to set the draw, and the other can plus to draw the card. But that means most of the time you're drawing a land, which, if you already kicked it for five, probably isn't that significant. The card is okay. It's not a bad card. It's not a format definer. When the opponent resolves a Jace, whether it's for three mana or for five mana, the game isn't going to end in the next two or three turns because of Jace. It will have to... Like, it's not a Planeswalker minigame on its own. And I think it's worth noting, no ultimate on this Planeswalker, as well as another Planeswalker that we're going to talk about soon, which means that the main problem in the history of Planeswalkers has been that they developed these ultimates where the opponent had to get rid of them or the game was just eventually going to end because this effect was so powerful, this minus eight type effect. And with that not being present, the opponent could honestly play an entire game ignoring Jace Mirror Mage, and the opponent will get some scries and a few draws out of the equation, but could still get run over on the battlefield. Therefore, it's an okay card that isn't going to break anything, which will probably make some people happy, and I'm I'm good with it because... I like playing blue cards and planeswalkers. I don't need them to win. I've got time. We've got time. So a few things I know about this this card. It gently incentivizes you to play cheap spells. So that's a thing. There are some other blue cards in the set that also incentivize you to play cheap spells. And uh, I just wonder if they're kind of pushing a cheap spells matter and potentially kind of like an is it tempo e kind of theme in this set. Not that Jace would necessarily be a like a snap auto include in a tempo e deck, but I'm just kind of keeping an eye. I, I I feel like I've seen enough incentives now for players to be playing quantities of cheap spells that it's kind of standing out to me in this set. So another cool thing that you can do with Jace Mirror Mage if you get two copies is you could do something like, for example, you could tick up on the four loyalty one and put an expensive card on the top and then you could use the zero on the on the one loyalty on the copy kill it and draw your nice high impact card so there are i think that this card is designed to incentivize you to kind of make those decisions and have play patterns like that and i think it's pretty interesting so i think jace is going to be a skill tester and especially over the course of a long game this is the kind of planeswalker where if you cast it kicked the decisions you make and the decisions your opponents make over the course of a long game uh, are gonna this is the kind of card which really determines the outcome of a game and i think widens the skill gap between really really skilled players so yeah cool card lots of play all right let's talk about the next uh, planeswalker here that we were alluding to i'll go ahead and read this one nahiri heir of the ancients two red white for a four loyalty legendary planeswalker nahiri Nahiri has plus one, create a 1-1 one, one white core warrior creature token. You may attach an equipment you control to it. Minus two, look at the top six cards of your library. Top six, it's a thing they're kind of standardizing now. Look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a warrior or equipment card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. And minus three, Nahiri, Heir of the Ancients, deals damage to target creature or planeswalker equal to twice the number of equipment you control. So 
Nihiri is super incentivizing the equipment plan. Hot off the top of the dome, CGB, do you even consider Nihiri if you're not running a critical mass of equipments in your deck? I would if I ran a lot of warriors and a couple key equipment. Mm, But if you're not playing equipment at all, I'm not sure I understand why you would play her. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's a good call. I think I'm with you. Okay, let's say you had like a dope warriors, an aggro warriors deck that ran four copies of Embercleave. Is that enough reason to put Nahiri in your deck? Yes. If, if you don't have a critical mass of four mana or more cards, and if the hits off it are high enough impact, you don't want the warriors to be little babies or Embercleave. Like you wouldn't play a card that's four mana minus two, like search your library for the top six and just reveal an equipment. You like the fail state has to be okay. If you're drawing yeah. a terrible warrior, then what did you do? Yeah. It's it's not that great. It it is conflicting incentives with Embercleave specifically because when your deck is running Embercleave, you probably want most of the rest of the cards in your deck to be creatures that cost one, two, and three. So that's really how, you, like, Nihiri is not the card that maximizes the power of Embercleave for you. Hasty cheap creatures are what maximize the power of Embercleave for you. So that's already creating a tension here. This card is also creating a tension with another favorite four-cost Boros card in the form of Winota. So, yeah, it's hard for me to imagine which deck Nihiri slips into at the moment. They might spoil some kind of other Embercleave power level of equipment in this set. It would be kind of disappointing if they didn't, actually. So I think we're going to have to see the full spoiler before we can really suss this one out. But yeah, that's kind of what I'm looking for. I'm looking for another game-ending equipment, and and maybe one with different incentives than Embercleave, maybe one that's attacking from a different angle, which would really make this minus two exciting for you. Sure. Uh, I agree with that. Because I'll tell you what, man, we are not playing Nihiri for the minus three. <laughs> Just nah, you ain't on that life. How many you ain't, you ain't into that? How many equipments are we gonna have on the battlefield, man? Well, let's see. Uh, a minus three. If you have one equipment to deal two damage to a creature of planeswalker, it can't even go dome. I mean. Wh- what? Yeah. Wouldn't it be a cool angle if Nahiri could dome you for the amount of equipment you have sitting around? I think that would be neat. That would be Why cool. Why not just any target? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it, it might. It could actually be like a, a finisher level of, of thing, right? You. It, it would obviously be jank. Yeah. Like, but that's the point. Like, don't people like jank? Well, you know, you clock them with the Embercleave and you finish them off with the minus. But <laughs> any, anyway, yeah. So Nahiri, uh, definite role player. And like we said, it's really just all about the warriors and or particular equipments you're looking to find with it. All right, let's keep this moving along here. We uh, just touched on this one quickly, CGB. We have a dive down uh, replicant, which is not as good. It's called Shell Shield. It's an instant for a one blue mana. Kick a one. Target creature you control gets plus O plus three until end of turn. If this spell was kicked, that creature also gains hexproof until end of turn. Is this card just unplayable because it's worse than dive down? Yeah. Yep. Okay. <laughs> dive down was good because it was one mana. Yep. T- two mana is twice as much. Let's move on. It, pe- <laughs> people forget that. They think just because it's cheap and it does something similar, that one and two isn't that different. It's double. 
Yeah. Literally double. Yeah, so don't don't get fooled by this card. If this ends up being a role player in standard, it's going to be because of a very particular meta and a very particular kind of aggressive deck, but much, much worse than Dive Down. Let's talk about this next card, CGB. Do you want to read Valakut Awakening for us? Valakut Awakening is, on one side, the side with the triangle, two and a red instant, rare, Put any number of cards from your hand on the bottom of your library. Draw that many cards plus one. But the flip side is Valakut Stoneforge, which is a land, and it enters the battlefield tapped. And you can tap this enters the battlefield tap land for a red mana. Before we just like dive headlong into this card in particular, let's just discuss these land flip spells. Because... This is probably going to be one of the biggest questions people are going to be asking about this set is, are these are these cards good? Are they worth running in our deck? I think some people think that our deck is just going to be running 12 of these because it's a free spell. What do you think about that, CGB? Like, are, are we incentivized to run slower and worse mana bases for the possibility of getting to play any of these given lands as a spell? I, I think that those people played Magic... The, the people who believe that, that you would play mediocre spells in mediocre lands because some just so that you don't flood out, I think they played Magic at a time with a lot of top deck wars. Yeah, that's some 1998 Magic right there. Yeah, I, I don't even remember the last time I had no options and my opponent had no options and I drew off the top and it was a land, played it and passed it back to my opponent who drew off the top and it was a land and they played it and passed it back and I drew off the top and it was a spell, (laughs) so I won. Like, I don't remember this magic. It it doesn't happen anymore. What happens is my opponent draws off the top and plays Hydroid Crisis. (laughs) And I play, I like... on my turn, I buy a Yorian and I blink an Omen of the Sea. And on their turn, I cast an instant that I found with the Omen that kills the Krasis. And they play two more cards from their hand. And it just goes on and on. And Well, maybe the, this just means you're so, not playing enough red aggro decks, CGB. It does mean that. But <laughs> no, I... Okay, red aggro doesn't even run out of stuff to do anymore, man. Like, yeah. they, they just light up the stage. Yeah. When they actually do miss a beat, the game's over. They concede that they're out of there. I, I still have, like, 50 things to do. But but that's the thing. Are you going to play these in red aggro? Of course not. Yeah. well, You're not going to play a tap land or a three-mana draw a card. That, so that's kind of my issue with this card in particular, and more generally, it's like... Okay, if we're talking about some of the blue-black ones, maybe, because those are colors that don't tend to want to get stuff down on turn one kind of a thing. Colors that might be okay with, with playing a tap land at any point in the game might run a number of tap lands in their deck anyway. But yeah, red decks? Ugh. This card especially seems to give you kind of perverse incentives, right? Because the whole point of a card like this is that you pitch one or two useless lands in your aggro deck and put them on the bottom of your library and try to cycle them into spells. But your aggro deck does not want a tap land. So I'm kind of struggling to think of a single deck that is going to want Valakut Awakening. I can I can try to help you. Yeah. So you want Valakut Awakening when you have cards in your hand that aren't very relevant to helping you win and you want to turn them into new cards. So either you're playing Situational Answers in your deck, a lot of cards like Aether Gust, although it's rotating, but something of that nature, maybe Mystical Dispute that you don't want in the late game, or you're running a way to put trash in your hand. 
Um, an example of that would be that there's a card that when you play it, search your library for two basic lands and put them into your hand. Oh, like the Houndmaster like, or something? How, yeah, Houndmaster. Yeah. Uh, you could throw away your good doggos and get real cards for three mana. <laughs> we did. I, 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 I still don't think any of that is worth it. Yeah. And I want to say on these cards, if what you wanted was something that could be a tap land or something else in the late game, you always had the option of playing all the triomes your heart desires. Yep. Yeah. You could play, like, nobody's playing 12 triomes in their deck for the most part. Like, you could have always done that. So you need this, you still have to evaluate these cards, not on the fact that they have an option. You still have to evaluate, is it a good option, right? You have to actually evaluate the spell side of the card and whether or not it does something that you want to do. Uh, because otherwise you could just play a cycling land and draw another card anyway. So Valakuta Awakening doesn't pass that test for me. You're right. And the land half is much, much better than Valakut Awakening, for example. So a Triome offers you three colors and and then cantrips, right? So it's a much better land, even though it's still a tap land. So yeah, I, I agree with you. You're exactly right. You do just need to evaluate these against other tap land options and other spell options. And if the spell is not really on brand for your deck, I would definitely just point people away from playing these. I think this is this is my guess, CGB. My guess is that your win percentage is going to be higher if you're really critical of these cards and avoid playing them, then it will be if you really embrace these cards and play a lot of them. So that's kind of my hot take. Well, maybe, but I can't generalize that because it definitely depends on the effect of the spell. It does the depend on they, the spell. Yeah. The second they put a good spell that is very situational but still very good with a land on the back half, it becomes a must-play card. And I mean a must-play card. And we do have at least a couple of those in the set. So let's let's keep moving along and see if we can find some of these. Uh, here's an uncommon that I think is interesting anyway, especially with the, the landfall theme of the set, which we actually, I forgot to mention, that is a returning mechanic in this set, landfall. And the simple mechanic of landfall is that whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control at any time, Whenever it enters the battlefield under your control, you get whatever the effect is. So that's important with cards such as Morass or Root Grazer. So uh, I'll read this one for you guys. Green and a white for a 2-3 creature beast with vigilance. You may tap it to put a basic land card from your hand onto the battlefield, and you may tap it to re return a basic land you control to its owner's hand. So this is the kind of card that you would use to re-trigger landfall for any number of different reasons and i'm not highlighting this card necessarily because i think it's going to be a big player in standard or in constructed but this is kind of like a it's like a landfall enabler and so worth taking a look at if you happen if that ends up being you know selesnia or selesnia colors adjacent colors uh landfall deck in any format so Let's talk about a card which is almost certainly going to see play with Landfall. Why don't you read Lotus Cobra for us, CGB? So Lotus Cobra on the subject of Landfall is one in a green creature snake rare 2-1 with Landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Although they don't say that anymore. They just say add one mana of any color. It's just, That's fine. Yeah, you just get a mana of any color. Don't be a paper when you play boomer. A land. 
you know? Yeah. That's, that's okay. what it is. My bad. <laughs> Sorry. Do you want to hear my hot take on this card? If it's that this isn't good. And, okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. The answer is always yes. Okay. I'm not going to say this card isn't good. However, I predict this card is not going to be as good and as bonkers as people think it's going to be. Well, that depends, right? What, what do people think it's going to be? Okay, I think that people look at this and they have this kind of dream scenario where you're playing Oro and getting an extra mana and then you're like escaping Oro and then you're getting an extra mana and then you're doing all this other kind of fun stuff on top of that. I think in 50% of situations, this card is just going to be worse than a Paradise Druid. So that's kind of my hot take on this card. How much better is Lotus Cobra than just a Paradise Druid in your average draw? Depends on your average draw. It's fair. So, okay, here are the things that Lotus Cobra does not do. Lotus Cobra does not help to accelerate you in a situation in which you do not have your next land to play. So one of the nice things that Mana Docs will generally do for you is that you can keep a hand, let's say you can keep a two-lander with a Mana Dock, knowing that that mana dock is going to produce mana for you unless it dies, you know, between the turn you play and the next turn. You don't have that guarantee with Lotus Cobra. So that's a, a real downside to the card. The other thing is that it's also a very vulnerable mana dock. It only has one toughness. So I, I just, those are several things running against Lotus Cobra. So this is what I'm curious about, CGB. Okay. What's the, give me the flip side. Why are we excited to play Lotus Cobra as opposed to just any other random mana dog? I, I, I shall battle you on your own front. So imagine this. Imagine that they design a set with a whole bunch of spells that are also lands. Fair. So that that so that that scenario where you miss your third land drop like never happens. <laughs> so basically, what you're telling me is that we play a tap land and then we just get the amount of mana that we ordinarily would have gotten if we had played an untapped land. Like, what am I missing here? Are you not stoked? Are you not entertained? <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> this is what I'm seeing is a crummy tap land that just made a mana, right? You're very, you're very down on on the fail state. Yes, very vulnerable card. But is removal good? Like we've gone over that. I it might be better, and this card might be checked. But I will say, I I think this card is pretty insane in a, like a very specific deck or two. Something teamer or something Omnath colored, which I'm sure we'll get to, is going to both want and need this be able to leverage this insanely explosive card. And it's part of what's going to make those decks good, that they can leverage this. But this doesn't go in every green deck. Heck, it doesn't even probably go in half of green decks. It goes in a very specific deck. But I'm, I'll am i go on record as saying that deck is nuts, and Lotus Cobra is part of the best part of it. The games that where you say we need to ban something are going to involve Lotus Cobra in some fashion. So I'm guessing that that deck contains Fabled Passage because that, I I grant you, Fabled Passage with a Lotus Cobra on the battlefield is nuts. I'm going to play Evolving Wilds too. Okay, that's fast. Yeah, so I'm, you're I'm just gonna high go on hard. the fetching. I mean, if, if you're in, be in. <laughs> just be there. So, yeah. Okay, I... I think that I'm with you in that I think Lotus Cobra is going to be a certain kind of combo enabler. But here, here are kind of my questions. 
okay, not only is this making mana for you, but you need that mana to be actually relevant. So in the situation in which, let's say you curve Lotus Cobra into Oro, and then you get an untapped land with Oro, and then you get an extra mana with Lotus Cobra. You now need something productive to do with two mana in that window. Now, if we were playing cards such as Explore or cards such as Growth Spiral, Growth Spiral right? If we're playing Explore or Growth Spiral, heck yeah, Lotus Cobra is busted, explosive, ridiculous. But what other random two-mana spell other than another Lotus Cobra are you excited to play on that turn? That's that's this, These are the kind of things I'm curious about. You have three mana, not two, right? You played the land, you get an and you played one. the land with the Uro that's untapped, and you played your land for a turn. Oh, I see what you mean, because you played your land per turn. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you do end up with three mana. Uh-huh. So that, okay, so, that's kind of compelling. Yeah. Yeah, so you double your mana. And now you can continue the train with a Cultivate, or you can cycle a Triome and be a card deeper in your deck, or you can use a three mana to cast a removal spell on the opponent's thing, or you can hit their hand with a discard spell, or you can... What do you do with three mana? I mean, maybe maybe there's somebody out there who wants to cast... I, if you're a red mage, you, you cast Slaying Fire. I don't care. You cast the other half of your adventure card. You cast your Bone Crusher Giant. I mean, what don't you want to do with three mana of any color that you got for playing good cards? The key... I, I think that the scenario that people are afraid of is the mana and nothing to do with it or nothing too productive. So I'm going to give you the key right here. I'm going to give you the low-down, dirty secret to making Lotus Cobra good. You use it to play good cards, and you make those cards play other good cards. That's all you got to do. <laughs> just, just play good cards that draw more good cards and get you more good cards to play good cards. You had it I mean, play, fast, folks. <laughs> dude, play your kick Jace. Just, just kick your dang Jace. Why not? You got the mana. You're drawing more cards with it. I think if I'm playing Lotus Cobra, I'm incentivized to run cantrips and I'm incentivized to run cycling cards. So I do think that Lotus Cobra could be fairly good in a deck that runs a number of triomes because, boom, use for your extra mana. Yeah, I think I'm definitely going to be looking for nice two and three cost cards that I'm excited to play anyway. Brazen Borrower, I think, is an excellent example. I do think Bone Crusher is also an excellent example because you are going to have these turns where you end up with these random little spurts of... And I think, like you said, that's the most common is that you're going to end up with either two or three available mana, sometimes one available mana. And just having something useful to do with those is going to get you so much further with this card. Have you considered how much more you can do with Escape to the Wilds if you have this card on the battlefield when you play it. Yeah, Escape to the Wilds is a pretty good combo. <laughs> However, the problem with Escape to the Wilds is that it's just not very good outside of particular decks. So uh... maybe maybe the Lotus Cobra combo is going to be enough. So what holds back Escape to the Wilds, in my opinion, is that when you reveal big clunkers, you only get to play one big clunker or you lose a bunch of spells, right? Yeah. Nah, Lotus Cobra, play them all. <laughs> play them all! Live the dream. So we're, we're going to have to see where this falls. I think this card is going to be somewhere between surprisingly less good than most people thought it was and busted, which, okay, that's not a very good hot take because that's just... There will be a tournament, and it will happen within a few weeks of Zendikar release, where there are 16 Lotus Cobras in the top eight. That's a hot Half take. Half the top eight. 
There you go. That's a hot take. All right. We'll, we'll circle back around and see if that one pans out. This is what I'm going to say to you, y'all, is proceed with caution. All right. Lotus Cobra, cool card. If you have good ideas and if you've really thought it through, great. Craft four of them, build your deck. But don't just jam Lotus Cobra and think it's going to be awesome because you're going to be very, very disappointed. It's going to underperform. Like I, this, what I, I don't want to have happen where the average arena player is like, everyone thinks Lotus Cobra's good. I'm just going to craft them and start putting them in my green decks uh, and then be like, hmm, this sucks. Why, you know, what am I missing? So just don't, don't do that. Have a plan. Have a plan with Lotus Cobra. All right, let's talk about a good card to deal with your opponent's Lotus Cobra, Blood Chief's Thirst. Why don't you read this one for us, CGB? It's a black mana for a sorcery that is uncommon, and it has kicker, two, and a black. Destroy target creature or planeswalker with converted mana cost, two or less. If this spell was kicked, destroy target creature or planeswalker. Dun, dun, dun. You know what this means, CGB? This means Renan 6 Unban in Legacy. Boom! <laughs> Boomer reference. Cut it. Edit it out of the cast. All right. So this card, um, I think both you and I agree that this card is one of the strongest removal spells printed into standard in a long time. Are we yes on that? Yes. Okay. But we should explain why, because I've actually had people tell me this is just strictly worse than Eliminate. Wow, worse than eliminate. Okay, I thought I thought you were, we were going to be discussing worse than fatal push, which is a relevant comparison. But no, I would play this card over eliminate five five days out of the week. One mana, like the difference between one and two mana is double. We're Huge. probably going to have to come back to this again and again because we have a podcast together now. But it is true. <laughs> It is so hard to find a one-mana removal spell that you can play in your deck that doesn't end up costing you games in the late game because you're top-decking one-mana cards that don't do much and your opponent is top-decking things that are bigger. This is that card. You can put this in your deck and it will find a target. Early in the game, it keeps you alive. Late in the game, it takes out best thing. It's a very important card to have. Yeah. So I think what people, if people are sleeping on this card, I think what they're missing is that options are good. So cards that give you options are good. Another reason people might be missing on a card like this is that they just haven't played enough black controlly style of decks um, and maybe just not enough black decks in general. So this is the issue you run into is that you're building, let's say you're building your Saltai deck, which who knows whether that'll be a thing in, in the new standard, but this is just a, a current example. You're building your new Saltai deck. You're looking down the list of cards and you're thinking, okay, probably need some copies of Eliminate because it's the best effect that takes care of this particular class of issues. So you go down a list and you're like, these are the cards I really hate dealing with that I might lose to. So I need to include Eliminate to deal with those cards. And then you're like, oh, actually, that kind of sucks, though, because what about this other edge case? All right, so maybe I have to play Heartless Act. So let's put a couple of those in. But, oh, man, what if my opponent resolves a four mana or above Planeswalker? Neither of those two cards deal with that. So maybe I have to... And now you're, like, running, you know, Murderous Rider in your sideboard or whatever. So the, the magic of Blood Chief's Thirst is that it's going to check just about any box that you need checked... And if the, if the fail case of this card is that you have to check the box at four mana instead of at one mana, that's not the end of the world. Absolutely. The, the card is fantastic early. 
It's fantastic late. It is stressed in the mid game, which yeah. the mid game is where magic, the real decisions and the best players excel. So it's another one of those cards that I think meets a lot of requirements for just making for a fun format. You don't have to die early. You don't have a dead draw late. But in the mid game, you have to make good decisions. And if can you spend your turn killing one thing if you're behind on the board by two or three things? You know, that's that's a tough decision. So I love it. Yeah, I think unless this meta shapes up in very specific ways, like, okay, let's say, for example, some kind of flash rogues deck ends up being the deck du jour, then maybe Blood Chief's Thirst is not your spell. But other than specific matters like that, it's hard for me to imagine this not being the most played removal spell in standard. All right, let's move on. Uh, this is a <laughs> this card has as much text on it as the last Omnath did. Omnath, Locus of Creation, is a mythic legendary creature elemental. It costs red, green, white, blue. So you heard that correctly. Four colored pips, and that's it. This is a 4-4 creature, and when it ETBs, you draw a card. But wait, there's more. It has a landfall ability on it. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you gain 4 life if this is the first time this ability has resolved this turn. So, first land you play after you have Omnath Locus of Creation, you will get 4 life. If it's the second time... They, they phrase this in a very particular way. It's not counting the number of land drops you've made. It's counting the number of land drops you've made since, since this triggered. So the first time it triggers, it's always going to be the four life trigger. The next time in that turn that you play a land, you will add Omnath's mana cost to your mana pool. Red, green, white, blue, free mana that you get from Omnath. If it's the third time, Omnath deals four damage to each opponent and each Planeswalker you don't control. So, all right, this card is definitely a potentially busto power level of card. It's also a four color card. So like, is this gonna be a meme CGB or are we actually gonna feel incentivized to play this in standard? This card is absolutely busted and is going to be the best card in the set. Okay, and do you think that cards like Lotus Cobra are going to be the reason why? No. Okay. I think that if Lotus Cobra weren't printed, this card would still be busted and would still be a huge part of the format. So before we even go into because I agree with you, who wouldn't love to have this card on the battlefield? So I think the only question we have to ask ourselves is how do we get it onto the battlefield? So do you think that we have enough tools between this new set and everything that's going to still be in standard to actually let us cast the damn thing? Yes. Okay. I think 100% you can cast it. Lotus Cobra is a part of that, but not necessary. I okay. think 100% this is a castable card. What else are we doing to cast this? I mean, are we just are we running some kind of four-color Oro nonsense? I think we're running four colors. I think it will have Oro because there's no reason not to. Like, two of the colors are Simic. I also won't be surprised by five colors. Um, a few cards that I have in mind cultivate one of them yeah fable passage and evolving wilds filling in for that but another hot take that may or may not pan out but i do predict this card is a good enough payoff to run a card that's been pretty medium and was kept in check by teferi time raveler but i think that this card will do it uh dryad of elysian grove ah there you go one of my faves man one of my faves 
I, I think that the 2-4 body is okay enough. I don't think Enchantment Hate is super relevant. And I think if you just play it for 3 mana, you don't have to make another land drop that turn. You can save it so that you get double land drops in the future after you cast your Omnath the following turn. I think that that is fine. I don't think it's... It may not be a 4 of, but I think it's at least a 1 or a 2 of. But there's something else to remember. As long as we're okay with tapped mana, we have Triomes. Mm. Like... You have not seen four-color decks running like 12 Triumphs very often because of the tempo of the format and because there's really no need to. Like Simic doesn't... Simic and Sultai, once you get to Sultai, you do not need a splash after that. Like everything's covered. No no need Um, and also no particular incentives, right? Yep. And the slow tap nature of it doesn't seem like it will play, but uh, are we going to have one mana removal spells? Are we going to have good adventure cards? Like is a mana base with 12 to 16 triomes reasonable it's not insane and i do think you might see five color because of another card we're going to talk about that cheats creatures into play that is on our list of spoilers and we'll get to that later because i think that nissa and omnath are going to be a team Mm, in at least some style of deck but oh i'm feeling what you're putting down there yep mm -hmm. so to me this this card is it is very castable. I think the deck is very playable. I don't think we have to stretch too badly to do it. I, I Here's the thing. Normally, decks like that would be victimized by aggro. But you're going to gain four life a turn. <laughs> a turn. And uh, under whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you gain four life. It's the first time it resolved this turn. So what if it's your turn? And you you ramped a bit, so you're a little ahead of schedule. You play your Omnath, and you play a Fable Passage, and you gain four life. Instead of making the free mana, you just pass to the opponent and gain another four life if that's what you wanted to do. I mean, this card's insane. Yeah, in fact, the more I look at and think about this set, the more I think the Fable Passage might actually be the best card in Standard after this set is released. because It will be the most played. It's just doing so much for you, man. It's just doing so much. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. I'm glad that you're I'm glad that you're so up on this card. It's the kind of card I would ordinarily pass over for standard because four colors is a lot, but I you know, I think I I'm feeling you. Like these are the cards that I think you 100% need to be running. You 100% want Fabled Passage. You want Lotus Cobra. You do want a buttload of Triomes. You do want Cultivate and you do want Oro. So if you have all five of those and then maybe Dryad of the Elysian Grove as your sixth, that's basically just the first three turns of your deck right there and then the rest of your deck is just bonkers payoffs well what you've got yeah what you have from that point is kind of all the mana you could possibly want and what do you want to do with it from there i don't know what have we done every standard for the last two years find the biggest busted thing to do with (laughs) mana and do it freaking get off on genesis ultimatum is just sitting there saying is it my time (laughs) Yeah, you're going to feel pretty good if you hit Omnath and basically any lands off of Genesis Ultimatum. That's just, I mean, that's a plan right there. You can just, you can end, you know, that's dot deck right there. Omnath, Genesis Ultimatum, dot deck, finished. So yeah, you just got to survive until, you know, turn four or five. Uh, And this card is right there with the Lotus Cobra. There will be an event with 16 of this in the top eight. Okay, That's that's, that's quite the prediction, my friend. I'm, I'm impressed. I thought that I'd be the person making these kind of grandiose predictions, but here we are. Okay, let's briefly touch on Acquisitions Expert. 
Why not? This card's great. Okay, one and a black, one, two. Human Rogue, both important types. When Acquisitions Expert enters the battlefield, target opponent reveals a number of cards from their hand equal to the number of creatures in your party. You choose one of those cards, that player discards that card. So first of all, I want to say this card is strictly better than Burglar Rat. I was going to say the only exception is if the rat synergy mattered to you. But other than that, this card is strictly better. Oh, I got another. I got another. Okay. I, you didn't say what I thought you'd say. Do you think that this is better than Kite Cell Freebooter? I do think it's better than Kite Sail Freebooter. I was going to say there is a situation where Rat is better. If this creature is the only creature in your party and the opponent kills it with the ability on the stack, they don't have to discard. Oh, okay. Because there's no creatures in your party. That's actually key. Yeah, that's, that's an important interaction. But most of the time, especially on turn two, when they're probably not sitting there holding up a shock, this card is just a better burglar rat in a lot mm. of ways the relevant creature types the one two like the second point of toughness is not yeah, trivial like a lot. oh yeah it's helpful so uh and the ability for it to scale with the party and give you selection where it's usually burger burglar rat is a hundred percent out of your control like yorian loves this card oh yeah well and you're right i mean if you have any other party members this card becomes very very good and if you have a full party this is very good <laughs> so how good this ends up being is just entirely dependent on how good the party mechanic is how good the black rogues deck is what the metagame looks like etc but this could be a pretty relevant pretty relevant card can i can i say something about party before we move on yeah because it's on a lot of cards yeah okay generally speaking anything that says when you have a full party is text I'm mostly going to completely ignore for constructed until given a reason not to because I agree. Yeah, this is this is one of those clauses that's so hard to put together against an opponent who's more than a sparky who is going to actually do anything about your board state and it feels great when it happens but it doesn't make you a genius gamer. It just means your opponent didn't have a good draw and that's not that's like not how to evaluate a good magic card. Almost any card is a good card under those circumstances. The way to evaluate the party cards and the kind of the mechanic is, is it good if there's only like one member in the party? Correct. And then is it getting consistently better if you can get to two or three? If you look at it and say it needs two members in the party to be good, it might be okay. If it needs four members in the party to be good, it's very bad. But if it does something... Something useful, something that a normal card that you'd put in a constructed deck would do on its own with one member in the party, it's probably worth a second look and figuring out where this slots in. I agree. I think so. Your, your fail case with just the one member needs to be playable. The payoff with two to three members needs to be quite good. And the payoff with four, if it's a four party payoff needs to be absolutely busted and the fail case of your absolutely busted card needs to still be okay if you don't have the full party so let's talk this next card i think is uh an example of a card that might make us play with this tension do you want to read for us tazari beacon of unity <laughs> no <laughs> your favorite CGP. don't four and a white legendary creature human warrior mythic this spell costs one less to cast for each creature in your party 
It's a four six. And then there's this line. And hold on. I got to figure out. <laughs> you you can go to the bathroom now, dude. I'll, I'll be right all here right, working. Right. Um, two generic or blue. Two generic or black. Two generic or red. Two generic or green. Colon. That's the activation so cost, let's just by explain for people what that means. That means that for each of these mana symbols, you can pay either the single colored pip or you can pay two. So any combination of two mana and all these colored pips. So this somewhere between eight and four mana activation. I, I mean, are you as stoked for the auto tapper to figure this out? Oh as I? man, there's going to be some wreckings. This all right, is be and some here's wreckings. here's your massive payoff. Look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal up to two cleric, rogue, warrior, wizard, and or ally cards from among them. Put them into your hand. At the put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. I mean, man, is this card worse than Winota? <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. That that's wait, you made me read that whole card for that. <laughs> so I, think, I didn't even want to read it. <laughs> I think people are going to be really excited about this card, and my prediction is that this card is largely a trap. I just don't. I don't see it. Is is there anything I'm like, am I missing anything about this card? Arjuna, this is a, a one mana four <laughs> six creature with an activated ability. How how could you be missing anything? Uh man. It's, Pass. It's, no, I don't want this. <laughs> it's like, okay, so here's the issue. A three mana four six in constructed is like that's a start. No, it's not. I wouldn't run it, but it's a start. Okay. There's just no, like, there's no random four-color party deck that's going to want to play this card. Quite a I mean, five-color, I guess, really, if I look at all of, all the costs listed on it. So, yeah, let's assume this card is a trap, and then let us be proven wrong if someone finds a way to break it. All right. Let's, let, let's move on. Here's another random party card that we need to read. Limbala, Shield of Seagate. One white, blue, three, three, legendary creature, angel, wizard, with flying. At the beginning of combat, on your turn, if you have a full party, so this will basically never happen, choose target non-land permanent and opponent controls. Until your next turn, it can't attack or block, and its activated abilities can't be activated. The second ability is more interesting to me. Sacrifice Linvala. Choose Hexproof or Indestructible. Creatures you control gain that ability until end of turn. So, Selfless Spirit was a better card, in my opinion, than Linvala Shield of Seagate. However, it was a very, very, very good card and a very relevant card when it was in Standard. So I think that the Selfless Spirit, the ability to turn Linvala into a... um, Heroic Heroic intervention. intervention. Yep. So the ability for Linvala to be a 3-3 flyer for three and then turn into a heroic intervention, kind of interesting to me. What do you think about that? I think the problem with this card is that you don't want to give up probably your best creature for that ability because your opponent kind of killed what they wanted to anyway. So Linvala needs to protect something better. And I think that most people look at this card and for whatever reason, it they think blue-white flyers. They think some kind of a an aggressive Jeskai deck with party. I've seen that. But mostly I've seen people talking about blue-white flyers. And the ability is nothing if 
it's protecting stuff you didn't want to protect as much as the Limvala. If Limvala is the best creature on the board, that's not what you want to sacrifice. So Limvala needs to protect other things, like an Omnath, Locus of Creation, for example. <laughs> um, I mean, and I'm just, I'm not saying that because I plan to put it in that deck. I had honestly yeah. not thought about it. But the, when I read the card and when I think about what you need to do with this, what you need to do is protect something worth protecting. And you might say, oh, I'm going to protect my party. I'll get a full party. You invested three mana into a member of that party, which has a relative ability when you have a full party. You don't yeah. want to give her up to protect it. You yeah. need to protect something. My my read on this card, the, the only place I'd be excited to play this card is if we had some kind of blue-white go-wide aggro deck. And when has aggro, the, the go wide white aggro deck ever had blue in it? So that's kind of, that's my problem with this. Like if we had some kind of Loxodon deck still in standard, then I think that this could be a role player. But I totally agree with you. If this is protecting just your darky one drop and your darky two drop and that's it, not good enough. Yeah, and jumping ahead a little bit, we only received... The untap, the new untapped cycle of dual lands for certain colors. Yes, and blue white is not is one not of them. Not a supported one, which is yeah. very relevant. And yeah, you're. It's going to come up pretty often that if you want to play an aggro deck in these colors, you need that land to give you consistency in your mana base. And if that color combination isn't supported in this set after rotation with the shock lands going away, I'm honestly not interested yeah. in trying. Yeah, like there's no way I'm going to try a blue white aggressive deck. Absolutely. Uh, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, you're just not you're not going to have the mana, quite frankly. You're going to run into the same problem we've already been running into, uh, but it's going to be worse, to be honest. Mana's going to be worse. Okay, so we're at the part of the spoiler where we are talking about the Fliplands now. Oh yeah, I segued. I segued. What a beautiful segue, yes. CGB. What a beautiful yes. segue. He's a champ. He's a boss. Let's hear it for CGB. All right. So the most important thing, as you noted, CGB, for us to talk about with these lands is who got the party and who didn't. Who was invited and who wasn't invited. So six guilds have been invited to the Flipland party and four have been omitted. Rather than read off all of these names, because who's ever going to remember all of these names anyway? Each of these cards has two names, all right? <laughs> so there's, there's 12 different <laughs> land names here. I'm not going to ever remember all of them. Nah. But let's talk about who got their lands. So the guilds that got the lands are Ozov, black-white, it blue-red, Boros, red-white, Demir, blue-black, then we've also got Selesnia, that's green-white. And we've got Gruul, which is red-green. So this is what I'm noticing, is that two colors got three lands each. So red got three lands, and I believe white got three lands. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. So those are the two colors that are heavily favored by this land cycle, they're going to give you the most options, especially if you want to run aggro decks, because I do believe that these cards are designed to incentivize aggro primarily, because the slower decks, like slower multicolor decks, are probably going to be more excited about playing triomes, because it just gives them a lot more options, and they can afford to catch up. So one of the things you have to think about with these lands is, yes, they do give you a choice of playing whichever side you want, but once you play it, you're committed to that side. 
So three color decks are gonna have to really consider whether they wanna be running these cards. I think that these cards are mostly gonna show up in two color decks that want a faster start. And potentially in monocolor decks that want some off-color splash potential if they feel like it, because there's no downside to running these cards in a mono, uh, these lands in a monocolor deck. Yeah, there's a few other weird um, payoffs, like there's Mythos. The Mythos cards are in the format, so like Mythos of Nethroi, if you just happen to have white and if you just happen to have green and black, it destroys any target permanent, and maybe there are mana bases you can do with this. Like you can play, you can play like the the white green one and the black white one, and just sometimes have access to Abzan. That's a really good example because they're playable without the third color. So that's what you really need to look for. If you're including these splashy cards in your deck, you need to make sure that you can play them on your base colors. Another thing to note about these, they are not basic lands. So that's going to be important. Not as important in standard necessarily, but like for example in Historic, these are not going to let your check lands come in untapped. And in other formats, it's going to really matter. And it, it will matter in this format somewhat as well. There's actually a lot of basic land text in this set. So just keep that in mind as well. But I'm kind of excited for these actually. I think it's a really cool design space. I think it's a really great way to make a dual land that is not OP. So I give them props for the design. It's going to have an interesting effect on what cards you want to play in your deck. And I'm so I always get like asked about this card and that card in in my decks and oftentimes the answer is mana. Like if I'm only splashing blue, I don't want a card like Baron in my deck because it's double blue. This these lands push that even harder. It's going to be a lot easier to cast a card like Inspiring Veteran, which is a red and a white, than it will be to cast a Conspicuous Snoop, which is a red and a red, if you're playing a red-white deck and you have to commit to one side or the other, because your lands won't will only be one color for the duration. They don't have that versatility. So people taking that into account will have a bit of an edge on the competition. If you're going to put cards in your deck that require double white or triple white, like Linden, or another card we'll get to later, that's like two white and one for a really sweet spirit, you're going to want to lean your mana base a lot heavier to white so that you're not afraid to name white with your pathway and uh, splash the other color. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I think two color decks running double pip cards in theory, should be okay, especially if, like you said, you're really skewed towards one color or the other. But yeah, if you're running any kind of three-color deck, just I would just encourage you to stay away from these unless you have any oh, yeah. particular reason to do so. It, it's hard to picture what Narset would be like, three-mana Narset would be like in this standard. She's rotating, but if she were in the standard, she'd be so hard to cast just because she's double blue and the pathways uh, are pretty awkward about supporting that. Like It's kind of crazy. Absolutely. So let's just talk briefly about the colors that are excluded. So Rakdos did not get one. Simic mm -hmm. did not get one, thank God. Interesting. <laughs> uh, Golgari also didn't get one. And who's the fourth one? Um, the fourth one's Azorius. Azorius my, did my not get one. My baby. Yeah, my my guild <laughs> didn't get a pathway. What you know, what did we do wrong? None. <laughs> what did we do wrong? I love. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> Everybody loves Azorius. We've never made anybody miserable by 
countering everything they do and destroying everything they play. So CGB is going to cry himself to sleep because none of his favorite colors got a pathway. I, oh, I'm fine with this because Simic and Rakdos not getting one shows that maybe they used their head for once. And, you know, they gave him a mythic titan in Theros. You yep. know what I mean? Yeah. No, no land this yep. time. No, no this. party for you. It's also just none of those combinations we listed with the exception of Rakdos I would say have had a particularly aggressive leaning in the last number of sets anyway so you know Simic, Golgari Azorius none of them care that much about untapped lands I do think Rakdos is going to hurt a little bit anyone wanting to put together like a sweet Rakdos sack or aggro deck that wants to get off the ground quickly is going to be a little sad to see that lacking I think it's kind of my take I am happy with it like they've they've had a good they've had a good run. <laughs> You've done enough, honey. All right. So moving along here, confounding conundrum. This is an interesting card to talk about. Why don't you read it for us, CGB? Confounding conundrum. One in a blue enchantment rare. When confounding conundrum <laughs> enters the battlefield, draw a card. What a beautiful line of text. Can we stop there? <laughs> No? Okay. Whenever a land <laughs> enters the battlefield under an opponent's control, if that player had another land enter the battlefield under their control this turn, they return a land they control to its owners. Is this the ramp answer we needed? It's a ramp-ish answer. It's, it's one of the oddest hate pieces they've ever produced. So it's cheap. It's reasonably free in that you get to draw a card, so you're not heavily penalized for having this in your deck. And it has a unique effect that I don't think I've ever seen before, where you basically take the thing that they want to do, and then you just set them back. They did it, but it it sets them back a little bit. You know, that the land has to go back to their hand. A lot of people are reading this and calling it the ramp answer. That ramp is now dead, that the Simic Menace has been defeated, and I, like the, I, I just don't see that. Like that's not what I read in this card. Um, what I read in this card is that it will give a few people the feels bads, and then we'll they'll figure out what to do. Um, these these abilities go on the stack. You can tap those extra lands for mana to make more mana. And if landfall is a thing, like if they have any cards with I don't know landfall on them then they're going to get a benefit anyway. And they you might give them more benefits because they'll just play more land. And I I just, I, I feel like we're almost, I feel like when they figure out how to use this card, we're going to be helping them somehow. Mm. Yeah, this card, don't, don't just jam this card and expect for it to do the thing that you think it's going to do. We're going to need some more play to it, and we're going to need to bring it in in specific scenarios. So here are a couple of the problems with this card. Okay, yes, this card does slow your opponent down a little bit if they're trying to play multiple lands a turn. However, you slow yourself down by playing a two-mana cantrip that did nothing else to advance your plan. So one of the reasons ramp is good is that it's letting people get ahead of schedule when other things are equal in the game. So... If you're, if you're playing threats at 4 mana while your opponent's playing threats at 6 mana, they have a big advantage. However, if you are playing non-threats at 2 mana, then your opponent doesn't particularly care that they're not able to get their threats down until a turn later. So that's just something to be thinking about with this card. 
You didn't kill their Lotus Cobra. You know what I mean? Exactly. You didn't kill the Lotus Cobra. Yeah, and and I think if pe- if this card is played regularly, then cards like Lotus Cobra are going to become even better, basically, because it allows you to get around this. One of the things this card does hose pretty spectacularly is Fabled Passage. So there are definitely situations in which your opponent's going to have a confounding conundrum down, and you're going to feel pretty bad about cracking your Fabled Passage. You also might just get got. So this this could be like a Narset level of get got. Do you agree with me on that? If it does the Narset thing, then it, it, it did good, but you can just treat your Fable Passage like a tapped land, say go and crack it on the opponent's turn, Correct. and completely, completely defeat the conundrum. But, I mean, you have to admit, it's going to be a blowout. Like, people are going to forget. You're going to forget. I'm going to forget. We're all going to get got by this, and it's going to feel annoying. I don't know. Narset was an omnipresent card that was just getting played all the time, and it, and drawing a card is like a thing that's built into our hardwired system that at the beginning of the turn, if we can draw a card to improve our options, we do it. Playing a land first is something that's kind of built in, but playing a land and cracking it right away and seeing this card, which is kind of unusual, I will be trying to get people with this. I don't think it's going to be a gotcha like Narset was. Mm. I, d- I think it. I think on a cerebral level, this card stands out as weird, and people it forces people to think more. That's true. We're used to seeing just some rando Planeswalker sitting there, and we're not used to that rando Planeswalker totally hosing us. Whereas you're right, some kind of rando build around enchantment usually usually perks up the hackles, especially since mm-hmm. it doesn't do anything else, right? I think that's one of the issues. Yeah. Like Teferi, Narset, you know, Tamiya, all of these passive planeswalkers, they have a bunch of other text on them, so you kind of remember that they do all those other things, and it's easy to forget one of the modes. Whereas this card only has one mode once it's cantripped. So I think you're right. It's not, not going to be quite the gotcha. I mean, keep an eye on it. Maybe it comes out of the board for certain matchups. Maybe people find certain ways to abuse it. One of the combos I have heard about, which could be potentially punishing, is if you control this and you also control a field of ruin, then you could crack that at the right times and strategically slow people down. So that's something to think about. So just to put something on this, you did nothing on turn two except for play the conundrum. You did nothing on turn three except for crack the field of ruin. The opponent can still tap the lands for mana before they return to their hand. So they can make, is that like four or five mana on their turn to face your board that did nothing? That doesn't sound like it's going well. (laughs) Not amazing. Not amazing. I agree. All right, so I think that that has been enough for this episode. We are going to do some bonus spillover episode action this week. So look out for the follow-up to this being released very, very soon. Thank you, CGB, and I will talk to you in a minute about the rest of these cards. Take it easy, my man. Yeah, later, but remember, zero banter. Until next time, absolute (laughs) zero banter. Hello Arena Crafties, quick sign off from Arjuna here. I am planning to do something which I haven't done before this week and I wanted to put it out to the community to see if anyone's interested in joining me. So I've been streaming more as you may or may not know and it's been really fun, it's been really great to see the community involvement in that and I've been thinking about a way like a game that I could play with the community, a non-magic game just something to have a little bit of fun and something anyone can jump in on, etc. 
And so I've decided that I'm gonna this week do a little streaming party game night with the community. The game that I've chosen to do this with is called T-Worlds, T-E-E-W-O-R-L-D-S, T-Worlds. And this game is based, it's free, so that's a nice thing. You can get it on Steam or you can just go directly to the developer and download it. It also runs on Windows, Mac, and Linux. So this is truly available to everybody and very easy. So this game is one of my favorites. It's a really simple game. And basically what it is, is it's like an arena shooter, like we're talking Quake Arena, Unreal Tournament, that kind of a thing, but it's in 2D and it's a platformer game. So think like Super Nintendo meets Quake Arena. And that's basically what this game is. You play as these little creatures called T's and you jump around and you have shotguns and grenade launchers and grappling hooks and stuff like that. So it's a pretty, pretty fast paced action game, but it's in 2D and it's a massively multiplayer game. So go check it out. If you're interested in hanging out with the community and playing this game, come join us. I'm going to be doing this live on Wednesday, September 9th at 6 p.m. Pacific time. So again, that's Wednesday, September 9th, 6 p.m. Pacific time. Come invite friends. We'll have space for just about as many people as want to play. It's an easy game to pick up and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. If you want more details on that, you can either just, sh you know, show up at six and I'll, I'll give you the deets on stream. Uh, another way that you can do it is join the Discord, the ArenaCraft Discord server. You can find the link to that in the show notes and on our website. I, I have a particular channel called T-Worlds, which I'm going to put the information in. I'll make a server and put the name in there and everything. So anyway, yeah, if you want to participate, you can do so in either of those two places. All right. Thanks, everyone. Wednesday, September 9th, 6 p.m. Pacific time. Look forward to catching you then.